Stephen, where do you look for new wines and how do you decide what's going to be the best things to sell? Okay, we're going to start with a really easy one. Can everyone hear me in the back? You can't hear me? Can you hear me now? Good? Cool? All right, let's do this. Okay, so the question is, where do I look for new wines? So before I answer that question, let me just give you two caveats about me and so you know where this is coming from. So I'm one buyer. I've been doing this for quite a number of years uh, and I've worked in New York, New Jersey. I've done a little work on the distribution side, a little work on the restaurant side. Uh, the majority of my time has been in retail, but keep in mind that I'm one buyer. So I don't speak for all of the buyers, but I can speak from my experience, which is not only in your typical brick and mortar, and I do mean typical brick and mortar setting, but also uh, a lot of my work is online. So I'm selling to people in Alaska, Florida, Te well not Texas, uh, California, all around the country, and in some cases globally. Um, so a lot of the products that I pick have pretty universal specs in mind. Um, when I, uh, when I start to think about new products, and I actually have to do that every single day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, and I'm doing promotions every day. I work at it from the perspective of selling and marketing. So every day I'm looking for items out there in the market uh, as to what customers are excited about. So, you know, cardinal rule number one, only buy, for a retailer in particular, only buy what you can sell. Only buy what you can sell. Now, even the best buyers oftentimes get into trouble by listening to their passions internally. I'm gonna come back to that point in one second. Listening to their passions, only buy what you can sell. But you know what, this wine blew me away and it's from a small little agriturismo in Sicily or in Puglia and it blew me away. I want to make this work. I want to sell this wine. So sometimes I'll buy a wine that just moves me personally and emotionally. Um, that passion and that engagement is what a lot of, keeps a lot of the best buyers around. So I'm gonna come back to the passion piece in one second, but there's two ways to answer this question essentially. Number one is relationships. I'm gonna look at the people who have worn the best paths to my door, that two-way path. Those sales reps, those companies, those importers who have made themselves known to me, not only by staying in touch, but by selling me products that mean something. And you know the, the wines, and I'm, again, I'm only talking about wines just because that's been the majority of my world, so just to keep that in, in perspective. Um, but the wines that mean something are the ones that sell instantly. The ones that mean something, you'll know within 30 minutes of sending a promotion out or within 10 seconds of talking to a customer about it, their eyes will fall out of their heads. So you'll know the types of products that mean something. And there are suppliers that continuously come to me and I work with who continuously provide me with those types of products. Not only the typical categories, Brunello, Barolo, Napa, you know, Malbec, not only those typical broad brushstroke categories, but also the ones that have really, really meaningful stories that build on the right kind of equity that resonate with our market. Uh, and when I say our market, I'm talking about the entire US market. So relationships, the people who have who've really worked with me a lot in the past. The second tier would be people who have constantly been in touch with me, who maybe I haven't really given as much attention to, 
for one reason or another, but who have been on their game, constantly being in touch with me. I was like, you know what? Let me give this person a shot. Let me, let me see what they have, not as a test, but really as a, I, I want to work with this person. They're really trying. Their heart and their minds are in this game. Let's do something together. Um, the third category is kind of steps to the side because the third way that I'll typically look for product is following things like critics' reviews, wines that are winning good scores, good, um, good, they're winning good awards, wines that are hot right now. The New York Times, for example, does an article, the number one wine on that list from Eric Asimov is a wine that I'm going to want to grab and I'm going to do a promotion on. Why? Because I know that if I buy it, I will sell it. So wines that are hot right now. The challenge with that is next week they won't be as hot. So the timing thing is really important. So New York Times articles, Wine Spectator Top 100. Uh, this wine just got, this, this Chilean Carmenier just got a 97 points from Wine Spectator and it's $37. Oh my God, we're gonna sell like 200 cases of this wine. Um, but the timing piece is really important. So I'm gonna go the direction of Scores, notoriety, what's hot right now? That's another avenue. Another avenue is obviously a supplier comes to me, I don't do a lot of business with him or her, but they come to me with a series of Brunello that I can make 50 to 100% gross profit on. So gross profit, money. So I had a conversation with a, a very good, savvy um, importer, supplier earlier this morning uh, who's just getting his feet wet and he's actually really picking up steam. And the reason he's picking up steam is because he's doing one of the many things, but one of the most important things. He's staying in touch with me. He's not at a place where he can really sell me that much in terms of a diversity of product, but he's asking questions he wants to know. So for example, he asks what differentiates one New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc from another? And it's hard, so categorically you kind of got to know about New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc not only from a, from a distribution perspective, but also from a buying, and a, a buying and a selling perspective. And the point is money, the gross profit. Sell me something that I can keystone, that I can actually make a lot of money on, and then I'll have a reason to get behind it and put my shoulder behind it. And then we could talk about the story because every wine has a story. Every wine has a story. And that's, every, you can sell anything at any time, any time of the year. Um, so relationships. Those are really important. I'll talk a lot about that in the course of the next 20 minutes or so. Um, just keeping my ear really to the rail to find out and listen to what's hot and what's kind of not so hot and what's starting to show signs of softness. Uh, and that'll, all those things will temper my buying decisions uh, either in that moment or you know, over the course of weeks and months. Uh, I think that's it. I'm sure you'll have other questions for me about you know, what's hot and what's not. And, but, Great. Thank you, yep. Stephen. Okay, so this is the last question that I'm hoping to ask on our behalf. So get your questions ready. Sean is in the back. So, um, Stephen, how important is your account sales rep? Okay, so this is kind of a tough question for me to answer. It's hard to answer because for me, the sales rep is critical. And that's kind of like, yeah, duh, I know the sales rep's important. But for me, the sales rep's important for, I think, different reasons than for other buyers. So I'm going to speak to it from my perspective. For me, the, the sales rep is my best friend. I don't mean like we go out for drinks after work or what have you. But I mean, the sales rep's got to be a person who I think and believe in their mind and in their hearts 
they'll drop what they're doing to get me what I need and to make me stronger. So look, we all know this, the competition is ridiculous. It's a war right now for retailers, as it is, I'm sure, for, for each of you. It's a really, really cutthroat, tough business. I know that sales reps have other accounts. We all, all buyers know that. But we want to go along with the, the warm and fuzzy feeling that my sales reps got my back. Okay, so we want a sales rep that's strong, that will fight for me. And I had a situation this morning where my sales rep did not fight for me. And it's crazy since we've spoken this morning. Everything that's happened this morning alone, I could do a whole presentation on that. But a sales rep who I lost an opportunity, a $10,000 sale, because she did not fight for me. Uh, so we're in the middle of fighting right now between her and I, but the reality is that I want a sales rep that's gonna believe in their heart that I'm number one to them, even though I know that they have other accounts. Um, a sales rep that is knowledgeable, and uh, Bill Shambi noted it earlier this morning, a person with talent and hunger. I want a person who's hungry. Why? Because if it's not important to you, it's not gonna be important to me. You've got to make it important to me partly by selling me on the concept, but you've also got to make it important to me by being excited and enthusiastic and you would do whatever it takes to get that placement. There's too many sales reps, and I'm not going to go on the sales rep bashing platform, but I will say one thing. The, the vast majority of sales reps, and I know you are so busy, I've been on that side of the fence so I kind of know. Um, the amount of work and accounts and personalities and agendas you have to deal with, I feel for you. I understand that in, in, in intuitively. Uh, but the reality is I want you to be so hungry that you'll sell to me, I will listen. Now obviously as a sales rep, you got to determine whether or not is this account worth putting in the time. And the challenge is you're not going to know until you actually start to put in the time. Uh, that's the reality of this kind of movable feast that we have in this industry. And by that I mean you have real commerce going on that's changing every hour, every day, every week, every month. And things that are important to me right now are not gonna be important to me in a week or two weeks or two months. Uh, but I want you constantly engaged in pitching me solutions and pitching me opportunities. If it's not important to you, it's not gonna be important to me. So sales reps who own the account and own the problems that the account is experiencing. Um, the thing I mentioned at the outset about relationships and about passion. So the one beauty of this business that I don't think it is as much or as intense as in other, in other industries as it is in this industry is I'm going to unite with a sales rep who I never would have any reason to interact with on any other front except around this one cultural heirloom, wine. For me, wine, could be spirits, could be craft brews, whatever, but you understand. The concept is I'm interacting and uniting, engaging with you around a product that has intrinsic value and passion built into it. Because of that alone, that will give you an opportunity to really interact with me and engage with me at every opportunity you can. So if I am a buyer who likes to read trashy romance novels. Go out and pick up a book, read part of it, and then talk to me about that trashy romance novel. If I'm a guy who has a particular watering hole, or girl has a particular watering hole, to, I go to every Saturday night, find out and show up there. 
If I'm a person who cycles, who rides bikes, I know one of our next speakers is a big cyclist. If I'm a person who rides bikes and cycles, talk to me about what's going on in the Giro d'Italia right now, in the cycling event that's happening right now in Italy. Why? Find out about me as a buyer and engage with me. Engage and captivate and relationship build with me. That's it. It's like really, it's not, it's not hard. You just got to really want it, you know. Um, another note that Bill made earlier, which I, I want to capitalize on is, yes, wine knowledge is important. Yes, because you need to know how to talk the talk. And it obviously depends on the buyer's acumen from one place to the next. But being able to sell is an art form and that you either have it no, I shouldn't say you have it or you don't, but if you don't really feel like you're as good a salesperson as other salespeople, work on that aspect. And sales is not a hard sale. Sales is marketing. Going to where the buyer is, metaphorically as well as physically, and going to where the buyer is going to be making decisions, essentially, that's marketing. So put yourself in those places. Read the trashy romance novels. Get up to, on your game on what's going on in the Giro d'Italia right now. Find out what that, that particular buyer or group of buyers loves and be there with them in that space. Engage them. The best buyers for me, sorry, the best sales reps for me have engaged me around things that I'm interested in. And then we start talking about Malbec. Like, you know, I talk about Malbec all the time. I'm like tired, of, sick of talking about Malbec. But the point is, I love to talk about cycling, you know? So if anyone wants a place at the wine library, you talk to me about the Giro, we'd be good. Um, but, uh, I think that's really, that's it. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, yeah. That really puts my job in perspective today because there's nothing I could do that would cost someone $10,000. So I'm very <laughs> appreciative of that. I promise I won't cost you $10,000, Sid. Not going to mess anything up. <laughs> so now hoping to turn it over to you. So if you want to raise your hand, Sean is in the back. He will look for you once he sees a hand and he will bring you a microphone. Yes, we have the first one here right here. in the front. Good man. Let's give this gentleman a round of applause. Nice. Oh, here we go. Mike's coming. Wait, no, we got a mic coming for you. Here we go. Thank you, Sean. With all the changing scene, what is your position about exclusive labels? Are you interested in that, or do you prefer to have uh, well-known, uh, well-distributed names? Can you just repeat one more time? The exclusive... I didn't hear what you had said. Uh, exclusive or private label. Oh, okay. Um, wow. Private label game is in my experience, is about 10, 15 years old. It went in fashion, it fell out of fashion. <clears throat> it came back in fashion, it went out of fashion. Some retailers, that is their core business philosophy. Um, it, and not to downplay those who have been very successful in doing private label stuff, I think that it's an obvious huge moneymaker for the retailer, provided the packaging is good, providing the wine is actually good. And by good, I don't mean that it's objectively good by WSET standards. I mean good like you're buying public will lose their minds because it is so amazingly delicious. Um, but private labels are, uh, in my opinion, a single really good marketing slash buying portfolio strategy. It's one. Uh, in today's market, as a retailer, I think you have to have multiple levels, online, free shipping, promotions. It has to be somewhat sales-driven, promotion-driven. A lot of what we do, and not only the wine library, but in my experience working with retailers, 
where we've been very successful, particularly since 2008, 2009, the promotion-driven economy has been the way that we've stood ourselves in relief to our competition. Uh, and I am a believer that if you're not selling, if you're not actively selling, marketing, promoting, you're not servicing your customers. But to answer your question a little more fully, I think that it's definitely a very valid, I don't think it's something that should be kicked to the curb. I, the challenge becomes when you have giant lots. So you have to buy a container of this one skew in order to make it happen. And you have to take it in one or two drops. Huge nut for even the strongest retailers to handle, especially single store retailers, even if you have two stores, you know. So where are you gonna store it, those inventory costs. So it's, there are significant challenges to it. If, if the nut was smaller, if you could get it in like, let's say like 200 or, obviously it depends on the size of the store, what means something to them. I think that there's definitely value in a private label, um, but it really has to be indexed to the store. So a strategy, not the strategy. I think there are a lot of stores that do it as a major strategy, but did I answer your question? Good, okay, cool. Thank you, yes, we another hand, here. okay. Sean is on his way. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. <laughs> Sean has the hardest job of the whole day. What a trooper. <laughs> we're, almost, we're almost there. No one else will hear you, though. <laughs> yes, Amy, how can I help you? Would you like me to comment on how to sell you wine? <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Yeah, I would like <clears throat> to, you to comment on uh, the challenges you're facing today in terms of shipping uh, interstates and how you have approached dealing with that. I know that's been a significant Yep. You factor in your business in the last yep. five years. Yep. So, for those of you who may or may not know, <clears throat> interstate shipping is a hugely challenging, thorny administrative issue for retailers all around the country. Wineries and retailers have different laws that we have to uh, know about, uh, and it's state to state. So, whereas I can ship to California, I can't ship to New York. Um, Thankfully, it's above my pay grade to actually give you administrative or legal reasons as to why we have been able to figure it out, but the reality is that that's, that's been a really tough thing. Um, you know, I could comment on the philosophy on it, I could comment on the logistics and the business side of it, uh, but the reality is that when shipping became an issue, we lost a lot of people at our store, like a lot of people. Uh, so it has a direct effect, not only on the stores that are doing really well by their customers, but it has an effect on people's livelihoods as well. Um, there are, there's a, and, and to answer your question, I think there's a lot of, uh, of third-party carriers that are working aggressively to try and figure out ways through that administrative legal and loophole stuff. I don't have enough information, to be honest with you, on like how it's being done, but I know that there's a lot of third-party people out there who are doing it. Um, I won't go down the road of what it means like philosophically for wine and for wine lovers, but uh, it has a pretty significant impact. Um, so unfortunately, I'm not well that well equipped to talk about the regulatory framework of how wine goes from A to Z, but you know. Oh, oh yeah, well that's an easy answer, yes. So when you, it's, it's no different. So the question was, have I changed my strategies based on the changes to how wines are able to be shipped from many, many states to very few states? And the answer is obviously yes. So just imagine 
you're selling to 15 people and now you're selling to three. So the reality is that my buying shrinks considerably. It not shrinks, it stops. Because you buy, I buy with the next one, two, three months in mind. So when a, a change like that happens systematically across the market, I have to stop buying in order so for my inventory to kind of flush out a little bit. It's sort of like it was, a, it was a more sudden experience than what happened in 2008 with the recession, where I essentially had to stop buying for about six months. Now, obviously, with suppliers, it backs up the food chain. So now you start to experience that maybe in a lag time, but you start to experience that as well, because if the retailers in that market cannot buy, because now their markets have gone, like Kaiser Sosafe, gone like in the wind, gone. I can't sell to people. So now I'm buying for a much smaller subset of people. The reality is that you know, that's, that's how it affects my buying strategy. And I also become less, I become more gun shy because I want to make sure that what I buy is allowing me, that I can sell it. You know, so I become less risk taking, I become risk aversive. So it's, it's, a, tough, it's a tough thing. Uh, and we're still in it, you know, it's, it's, it's a turbulent, dynamic thing. It could happen tomorrow, you know, it's just like that. So you have to be really savvy about what you buy, sharp uh, and decisions and all that. We have time for just about two more questions. Oh, great, you already got a mic, great. <laughs> Thanks. I'm curious about how much, I'm right over here. I can't Wait, see. Never gotcha, okay. Um, how much does the on-premise marketing, specifically to bartenders, impact what goes on off-premise for you? It's it's pretty nominal. I mean, the on-premise marketing really is about building equity for a brand, making it sexier, making it hotter, making it flashier. Uh, so it gives, it doesn't take away from retail presence by any stretch of the imagination, in my experience. Uh, I think that it's, it adds to the value of the brand or the category uh, exponentially so. And if you can keep doing that cumulatively, it really starts to build equity. Perfect example is, you know, Napa Cab in the last 10 years, you know, that's the biggest thing in steakhouses. So Steakhouse Reds became its own category and its own equity-based category that I could build off of. You know. yes. There's one more right here. What kind of advice would you give to a small distributor getting into the business competing with the bigger distributors? Pick up the phone and call. Don't well, if you no, do no, that, no, no, you no. get a lot of um, liquor stores that say, I have an exclusivity with okay. like bigger, like wine library. You know? Well, I'm oh, not saying, you know. No, 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 I understand. So there are hundreds of outlets. Pick up the phone and call, and the second you get uh, a, a, an open voice or a warm heart or something, pursue it. Don't do the email route. Don't just show up. Just call and try to find out who the right people are. Talk, talk, talk to everyone you can to find out what, uh, who the right people are in those accounts to speak to. Um, uh, Bill Kolb asked me earlier today, what was the biggest thing that I learned in, in, in doing what I do? And the biggest thing that I learned is constantly be open to learning who is out there, who I should be speaking to. Be open to talk and connect at all times. It's, like I said it before, it's a movable feast. It's constantly changing, it's constantly dynamic. You might be 17th in line to get a placement at a store, but those first 16 will make a mistake. So if the store or the account or the buyer is worth it, stay in line, stay in touch, stay engaged, because those 16 will fall eventually, and then it'll be your turn. So find the accounts that mean something, not only for your money, 
but also for your brand to kind of telescope it out. Stay in line, stay connected. Okay, we're yeah. gonna have one last question. So how do you know you can sell a product? Do it. Just do it. I do promos every day. 40% of them do well, the other 60% fail. So what I said before, the only reason that, the only way to know the solution to the problems is to actually go after it and do solutions. You just have to do it. You know? Now I understand if you have to make a commitment of two containers of wine, you're not going to just do that. Uh, but you just got to keep trying different options to understand what that nut is, what the challenge is. Okay? So I'm sorry, that's a, that's a quick answer, but that's actually, that is the real answer. Just do it. And then you'll know instantly whether it means something or not. Okay, sorry, we actually, I checked with Sid. We do have time for just two more. We're gonna go right here and then right to you, sir. And those will be the actual last two. Hi, I was wondering if you are seeing a growing trend in certain categories or countries right now that are most exciting to you. Um, I, yeah. This question's tough because it changes every six months, but right now, the bees, the bees are big. Brunello, Barolo, Bordeaux, Burgundy. Okay, those are big. Um, South America is kind of cool. Um, retail, this is only retail in my experience. Uh, South America is kind of cool. California's hot, Oregon's hot. Uh, Washington State is not hot. It breaks my heart because the wines are phenomenal and they just, they can, there's a certain marketing nut that's getting in the way. The challenges that like places like Washington State, unfortunately, places like Campania, Alianico, really hard to sell. Uh, I don't know why. And again, I think it's a marketing thing. Uh, Etna is red hot. I don't know why. Sicily, I mean, I know why. The wines are phenomenal. But Etna, in the last two, three years, red hot. Uh, Prosecco, amazing. What has happened in Prosecco in the last 10 years, just read that case study and understand why that is such an amazing example of what to do to think outside the box and to approach a problem in a different way. Um, I did a writing on that in LinkedIn, so if you aren't LinkedIn, you should link in with me and then go back and look at that article because it's a great exposure, expo expose as to what a category can do to think outside the box. Um, there's more, but I'm, I'm, I'll digress, but those are the biggies, sorry. Okay, actually, very last question with this gentleman yes, right sir. here. I have a, a question for you. Um, when you are a brand new producer, I have a nice portfolio. Yep. For example, from Abruzzo, you have a nice wine. You have a each wine has a history. How the best way to approach an importer? Importer or retailer? Importer. So I might defer to more of the importers in the room. I think. That's, that's a tough question. I'm not really, that's kind of out of my league, so to speak. I'm really thinking of it from the perspective of the retailer, which is the third tier in this country for distribution of wine. So I buy from a wholesaler who buys from an importer. Um, I think that, I mean, just from my experience, wineries have become linked in, no pun intended, linked in with other importers by talking to their friends and colleagues in that region. So who's, who's burned you? Who do you not ever recommend doing business with? Who do you recommend doing business with? Or they're too big. Well, let me talk to them because maybe they have somebody else. So get out there and communicate. Talk to, look, just like look around you for the resources that are right around you. Start with your strongest people and ask them, I have, a, I have an amazing product. I believe in it. It deserves to be on tables in America or in Lithuania or Croatia or wherever. 
but talk to your people that you most know first and then kind of mushroom out from there. That's my, that's my recommendation. Sorry, I couldn't be more helpful. Thank you so much, Stephen. That concludes uh, okay. our Q&A. Thanks, guys, awesome. and thanks for all the questions. Thank you.